Welcome to the Pre-Vet Podcast. I'm Alex Avellino, your tour guide on the journey to becoming a veterinarian. Listen along as we provide you with tips, tricks, and tales on applying to veterinary school. Welcome back to the Pre-Vet Podcast. I'm Alex Avellino, and today we have two clinical assistant professors of clinical pathology, Dr. Mary Lessinger and Dr. Sarah Beatty. Welcome, ladies. Thanks for having us. Thank you very much, Alex. Well, I'm so glad you're here because we've had quite a few veterinarians um, come to the show, and they've talked about, you know, hands-on, working with animals and all that, but I believe pathology is a little bit different. Is that right? Correct. Good. So um, before we get into what pathology is, I know that there's a lot of different kinds and things you can do, but why don't we hear about your path to where we are today? So when I started my path into veterinary medicine, I thought that I was going to be a general practitioner, um, both small and large animal medicine, because that was the environment that I was exposed to. Coming to veterinary school, I really still enjoyed all species. And as veterinary medicine progresses, um, people are becoming more specialized, and the true mixed animal practitioner is becoming less uh, common. So in order to kind of maintain my species diversity and exposure to all animals, I found the field of pathology actually my final year of veterinary school. So it wasn't till very late that I decided that I wanted to be a pathologist. And after being exposed to pathology, I decided at that point to pursue a residency in clinical pathology and then eventually become a clinical pathologist. Perfect. Yeah, my path was a, a little bit different. You know, Sarah had um, a lot of interest in small animal, large animal, and one thing she didn't touch on was zoo and exotic. I mean, she really likes it all. She's had birds growing up and everything. And before I came to vet school, most of my experience was in wildlife, zoo settings, things like that. And so I really thought that I was going to be more on maybe the conservation front or zoo, exotic, wildlife medicine. And I didn't even honestly know my profession existed until my second year of vet school. Mm -hmm. So it's not something that I think is really out there a lot in terms of marketing and the specialties in veterinary medicine have just grown in leaps and bounds probably within the last 20 years or so. So it wasn't even something that was on my radar. And after second year getting exposed to thinking about why disease happens and diagnosing for me was the most fun part of the puzzle. And so that was the part that I wanted to focus on for the rest of my career and realized that while I liked everything, that was the part that probably on a day-to-day basis was going to make me happiest pursuing. I think it's um, great that we have veterinarians come on and almost every single person has said, this is where I thought I was going to end up and this is where I actually am. And it's great for students to hear that, number one, you don't have to be stressed about what am I going to do because you're going to be exposed to so much in vet school, but that it's okay to change your mind. So I'm so glad to hear that both of you kind of did that. Okay, so let's get a basic definition of what is pathology. So pathology is the study of disease, right? So physiology is the way our bodies work in health, and pathology is the disease processes that animals may succumb to, understanding those better. So understanding the the markers of disease, what disease looks like, and getting to that diagnosis. So then other doctors who work more on a treatment spectrum can go from there. Okay, this is what we're dealing with. Now how are we going to treat, manage, or move on from knowing the diagnosis? Okay, so the study of disease. Now are you, when do you see the disease? Is it Are you seeing that animal in front of you or are you seeing slides? What are you seeing? So 
oftentimes the primary care veterinarian is doing the physical exam and then at that point they decide that they might need some more testing and so the testing part is usually the diagnostic testing is usually where the pathologist will come in and so there's two different types of pathology um, there's clinical pathology which oftentimes de deals with blood tissues urine um, a lot of the live animal components it's oftentimes things like your complete blood count your serum biochemistry your urinalysis endocrinology and then cytology are what is involved with clinical pathology anatomic pathology deals with typically more just slides and it can be both live animal and animals after they've passed away so they can take uh, tissue samples what are which are called biopsies put those onto a glass slide, make the diagnosis of you know, something infectious or cancer. And then the same thing with after the animal passes away, they can perform something called a necropsy, which is the analog of an autopsy, where they look at the entire body for signs of disease, and then from there they will put those tissues onto a glass slide to help kind of determine what happened with the animal. I think sometimes students might think pathologist sounds like their typical thought of a scientist, maybe like behind a microscope or in our lab, and they might think, oh, I love to do that because I don't really want to work with people. So can you speak to that aspect? Yeah, so um, we still have clients and still work with people on a daily basis. Our client population is just a little bit different. Our client population is actually the veterinarians. Those are the people that oh, we serve. Interesting. Yeah. So even though we're not working with the owners and the patients, the veterinarians are the population that we're going to be interacting with. So oftentimes when we're reviewing our pathology samples, we are writing reports about the things that we're seeing. And so you should have really excellent both written and mm. verbal communication skills to make sure that what you're seeing as a pathologist is accurately communicated to your client who is the veterinarian. Right. Yeah. I can imagine as a veterinarian, I'd be super frustrated if someone couldn't articulate to me what is going on with my patient. So a pathologist needs to be able to explain in probably different ways um, what's going on so the veterinarian can understand and then treat the patient and then explain that to the owner. Does this mean that you guys, that pathologists are not working with animals on a daily basis? So in our particular role, it depends on where you're working. If you're in one of the laboratories where you may be receiving samples, perhaps from the national or international community, it may be less likely that you're going to be seeing animals on a daily basis. In our role, it would be easy for us also not to see animals on a daily basis. However, because the hospital is connected to our laboratory and we think that there is a lot of utility in our resident training and in our knowledge and in communication and talking to the clinicians and and potentially seeing the patients depending on what they're describing to us as the disease process, we may walk down to oncology or walk down to zoo medicine or to one of the other specialties, talk about the case face-to-face. -face. And I think you get a better idea of what maybe your client needs are and where there may be gaps in communication or maybe able to offer some additional information when you have those connections. So that's one of the perks, I think, that we both find for working in the university setting. Wonderful. So you still do have an opportunity to see the animals. Yes. So both of you are professors, which means that you are teaching students. Talk about the academia side of the veterinary field. 
So students are exposed to pathology all years of the veterinary curriculum. And so first year is oftentimes focused towards the physiology and understanding the basics. So one of the things that we teach the students about first year is hematology and bone marrow. So the bone marrow is where all of the blood cells are produced and then they go into the bloodstream. And so then we talk about the blood cells once they enter the bloodstream, just kind of their normal functions. Second year, we move to the large clinical pathology course, which will still continue to cover all of the blood cells, but then we also talk about the blood chemistries. And so blood chemistries are where we look at various organ systems um, for markers of disease and evidence of dysfunction. And then third and fourth year, oftentimes we'll get into the more specialty courses. Um, so things like cytology, where we put a few cells onto a glass slide and look to see what kind of disease process is happening. So there is a lot of pathology that is kind of interwoven throughout the entire veterinary curriculum, both within the pathology courses and then outside of the pathology courses. I'm hearing more and more DVM students get excited about pathology. More of them want to become pathologists. Um, the pathology club seems to be very popular, and I want to know why do we think they love it so much? I think it's a lot of fun, <laughs> obviously, or I wouldn't have chosen to do it every day for the rest of my life because you really shouldn't choose something that you don't think is fun yeah. uh, and interesting and is going to keep you growing. I think we have a lot of, you know, Dr. Beatty's an amazing teacher. We have members of our anatomic pathology team that are amazing teachers. And I think that if people communicate their passion, that interests other yes. people as well. Yes. And it's it's something about putting the puzzle together, looking through the microscope, taking, I always like the idea that as the world becomes more and more technologically advanced and we have artificial intelligence hitting the scene and we have uh, more fancy laboratory tests, I'm using a piece of equipment from say the 1700s or yeah. so, the microscope, and I have a few cells and I can look at something that really is, looks like an impressionistic painting mm -hmm. under the microscope, and then I can use the algorithms I've learned and what I know of disease and the patterns I was taught during residency to say, I really think this patient has XYZ. Mm -hmm. And we don't have to wait. We can do that the same day. So there are owners there that are really concerned. Does my pet have cancer? Does my pet have kidney failure? Does my pet have this? And there's a doctor that's waiting to treat. And with clinical pathology, we're often giving an answer same day. Yes. And I think that's really exciting for students to harness how to use the, the tools and the database that they learn in clinical pathology to build confidence as a doctor and know where to go next. Mm -hmm. So I think they like that process. I think what would excite me the most if I was a vet student, I'm, I tend to be a little impatient. So the fact that I would be able to look under the microscope, know, take what I've learned and apply it immediately to be able to say, this is what's going on would be great for my kind of personality because the idea of like a long-term what's happening, having to really dig deep while exciting for some folks is not necessarily my favorite thing. So I think that's awesome that, you know, you can come up with that, that reason that same day. So that's great. What kinds of diseases do we typically see as pathologists? And what diseases really excite us when we're like, oh, I haven't seen this in a while? So um, being in the Southeast, we really have kind of the full gamut of diseases. Mm -hmm. So we see a lot of infectious diseases that are quite atypical maybe for the rest of the country. We also see a lot of cancer. We yeah. also see a lot of normal tissue. So we really do see kind of the range of things and, you know, 
when I'm looking at samples and I see inflammation, oftentimes that will key me to look for infectious agents. And so when you finally find that infectious agent that you've been looking for yes. for a really long time, it can be really exciting because you can then help that patient and say, this is what I think this is, and then they can start treatment. Mm-hmm. The same thing with when I'm making cancer diagnoses. Oftentimes those cells exhibit lots of atypical features. They're not normal. Mm-hmm. They're cancer. They're mm-hmm. neoplastic cells. And so a lot of those neoplastic cells can be really beautiful under the microscope, which is unfortunate for our patients. But oftentimes when I'm in the pathology readout room and I'm you know, getting really excited about something, oftentimes it's not the best thing for our right. patient because under the microscope I'm seeing something that's probably not good. When you say beautiful, can you describe what, what does it look like? <laughs> Yeah, so let's just take an example of like lymphoma. So lymphoma is a uh, cancer of the lymphocytes in the body. And the cells, when you look at them under the microscope, are round um, like little balls. And they have a nucleus inside the cell. Sometimes with lymphoma, they can have little uh, fine dots inside of them or granules that are pink. Mm. Um, Sometimes they will have really dark blue cytoplasm, which is the part of the cell around the nucleus. So it's it's kind of really pretty. And one of, one of my favorite cells actually is the horse eosinophil. And so when I'm looking at horse blood, the eosinophils are one of the white blood cells that have very large red granules. And they you basically can see them from space. They're absolutely beautiful, beautiful cells. So really, really big red granules in the cells. And it might sound different for us to hear that these cancerous cells are these cells that can be infectious and, you know, are so beautiful, but also it's beautiful because if you identify them, it's like, oh, good. Now we can know how to treat it. Yeah, we're, I always tell our residents that we're very lucky to, I always say that we have some of the best clients uh, because our clients are other veterinarians. And so we have a luxury, honestly, of the fact that if I talk to an oncologist, they're very happy to get a cancer diagnosis because that means they can treat that patient and at least they can give that owner an endpoint of we know what we're dealing with and here's where we go from here. Sure. Whereas our colleagues on the front lines in clinical medicine, there can be a lot of compassion and emotion fatigue that goes along with that. So mm-hmm. we're very cognizant of the pressures that our colleagues are under and we we want to provide them, you know, the best information. So we're, we're lucky in that respect that oncologists and, and other specialists understand when we have something that's a, a weighty diagnosis, um, they can at least share in the satisfaction of getting a diagnosis, Sure, yes. regardless of what that may be. Having an answer, even if it's a bad answer, is better than no answer at all, I would think, a lot of times. It's, it definitely can be. Good. Dr. Lessinger, do you want to tell us what your favorite kind of cells are to see under a microscope? My favorite cell is a cell called the Mott cell. And so it's, and Dr. Beatty shaking her head to say, <laughs> yes, this is a, this is also a beautiful cell. So she agrees that second to the horsey eosinophil, I think. And probably for a very similar reason, they're striking in terms of their color palette. So we have our lymphocytes that some of those, as we know, will go on in the B cell lineage to produce antibodies for us, right? Mm-hmm. That are going to fight off viral infection or whatever else we have going on. And you can actually see those antibodies within the cell. They crystallize and they form different shapes. Sometimes it's linear, sometimes it's large globules within the cell that are a pale 
a pale blue color. Mm. And then the nucleus is a very dark blue. And sometimes we see flaming plasma cells where there's a pink fringe along the edge of the cell. So if you like purple, blue, and pink, uh, it's a, if you're into that color palette, it's a very <laughs> good career choice for you. Yeah. So we see some really, really gorgeous stuff. You could take snapshots and send it to people. I know artists, and sometimes I'll send them some pictures, and they find it inspiring, yeah. you know, to see the way biology and art can intersect. Can you spell the horse cell and the mott cell just so folks at home can Google it at some point? Absolutely. Uh, eosinophil is E-O-S-I-N-O-P-H-I-L. I'm glad I didn't try that one. And the, is I'm guessing two T's on the mott. Yeah, and the mott cell is a capital M-O-T-T and then just cell, a mott cell. Okay, so that's our homework today, listeners, to go and Google both of those types of cells so you can see how gorgeous they are And if you're inspired, maybe it's time to start thinking about clinical pathology. What have we not talked about that you think it's important for our listeners to hear about your journey, veterinary medicine, pathology? What do they need to know to take away today? I think I just have maybe a general soapbox comment, which is I love that you're doing these podcasts. Uh, Thank you for doing that. I think it's really important for people who have an interest in the field to maybe realize all the areas and nooks and crannies of veterinary medicine and what their life could be. And as a caveat to that, to also maybe leave some spaciousness in their lives. I often meet students that maybe they're my advisees in the first or second year of curriculum. They already tell me, and I know Sarah's nodding her head, I want to be an ophthalmologist. I want to be a surgeon. I want to be this. I want to be that. And it's great to have an idea of maybe going into one of those fields. But I think what makes you a great veterinarian of any kind, whether that's a specialist or a general practitioner, is being interested in everything and trying different things. Mm -hmm. And like you said, being willing to change your mind about something. You know, maybe you'll go into this field, but even if you spend X number of hours investing in pathology and it doesn't end up being what you want to do, that's still going to be applicable to being a surgeon, to being a general practitioner, whatever else you want to do. So just for anyone thinking about the field, just get interested and get involved and let your passions kind of take you where they they will. Sometimes I feel like a mom telling my pre-vet students, you know, be open, be open. And it's always good to hear veterinarians actually come in and say, no, you do need to be open. So I'm always glad to hear that. I think that's one of the beautiful things about veterinary medicine is that you really can do anything that you want. So you can go through school and really decide, you know, I think I'm going to start out as a small animal general practitioner. And then one day you decide, you know what, I want to be a specialist and go to a residency program and be a specialist. Or, you know, if you're large animal and then you switch to small animal and vice versa, the paths are really endless as far as veterinary medicine goes. And it's a wonderful degree because of the flexibility that it offers. Yes. You know, once you get those letters, DVM, you have so many opportunities and opportunities are always wonderful to have. Well, I want to thank, um, you know, both of our guests today for being here and telling us about the beautiful and dynamic field of clinical pathology. Remember, your homework is to Google both of those types of cells, favorite, and maybe find one that you are interested that we haven't mentioned today. I'm Alex Avellino, and we'll talk to you soon.